And I've only learned that more and more since becoming a father. As last night, I was watching over my girls, and Jamie was out, and, and my little Abigail kept calling from the bedroom because she didn't want to go to bed. <laughs> Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, now I'm thirsty. Dad, when's mom coming home? Dad, I'm hungry again, and I'm thirsty again. I loved hearing that. I just have to tell you, as much as it's a pain, I loved it. How much more does God not love it when we pray out to him and cry to him and say, God, hear me. Of course he hears. Of course he listens. He encourages us to pray. He commands us to pray. Why? Because he loves to listen. And so pray, pray, pray. Sing out to him. He loves to hear. Now let's get to the sermon here. In our gospel reading from Luke, we see that Jesus has come home. He has come home to preach in the local synagogue. In other words, the local boy has returned. And I imagine it was a much bigger turnout that day in the synagogue than usual. No sleeping in that day. No watching the football that day. Jesus is coming home. Who would miss it? He left home a carpenter. He's coming back a preacher. They've been hearing the news of what's going on. At Cana, they heard how Jesus turned water, 180 gallons of water into wine. And then they heard the news that in Capernaum, Jesus had cast out demons. Jesus has taught with authority. Jesus was healing people. You better believe that the whole congregation wanted to see what Jesus would say on that day. There was a buzz in the area, in the air. What would Jesus say? Well, it came time for the sermon. Jesus was handed the scroll from Isaiah. Big scroll. Looked through the whole scroll, turned to Isaiah 61. And there he read the words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim for freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now I'll tell you, as a preacher, that was a good choice. If you're ever going to be preaching at your home church, pick a good and gracious passage. I mean, there's some real bad ones out there. I'm glad. Jesus was smart. He picked a gracious passage, a passage that spoke of God's Messiah coming, of God's deliverance. It's a passage filled with hope. It's a passage that speaks of, of blind seeing, of the oppressed being released, of jubilee. I mean, Jesus is no dummy here. He picked a great and beautiful passage to preach from. After reading those words, he sat down. Unlike us, I stand to preach. In his day, he sat. It's probably a good thing you don't have me sit to preach because the hours would go, the sermons would be hours, right? And so Jesus sat. I imagine everyone was leaning forward. What was he going to say about this good and gracious passage? Well, Jesus says this. This is his sermon. He looks at all the people and says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. That's his sermon. That's it. That's a one-line sermon. It's a sentence. 
I imagine right now you're going, I wish you, Pastor Russ, would could preach a one-sentence sermon. I've tried. It becomes like eight pages. I just, it can't work. But for Jesus, one sentence, that's it. It's all he needs. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Shirley Roth once told me about a sermon she heard. It was really hot. It was extra hot that day, and everyone's sweating, and, and they didn't have fans, and they were all burning up. And the pastor gets up. He looks at the congregation. They're all glazing over, and he simply says this. He says, there is a place hotter than here. Thank God that in Jesus we're not going to go there. Amen. And sat down. <laughs> I like it. Sometimes one sentence is all you need. And for Jesus, that's all he ever needed right here was one sentence. In fact, here's an aside. Again, that's why I can never preach one sentence, but an aside. Jonah goes through Nineveh preaching. His sermon is one sentence long. He simply says, in 40 days, God's going to destroy the place. That's his sermon. No words about repentance. No words about doing anything. Just simply, 40 days, God's going to destroy the city. That's it, one sentence. But what happens with that one sentence? The whole city's converted. The word of God springs up, and it, it creates. It does what it accomplishes. The people repented, on, and Nineveh was saved. Why? Because of one sentence. But we know that with God. When God preaches, he says, let there be light. He doesn't need a paragraph. He doesn't need a page. He doesn't need a volume. When God says, let there be light, there's light. And when God's word is proclaimed, he only needs one sentence. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what in the world is Jesus saying when he says that one sentence? Well, he's referring back to this passage from Luke, from actually Isaiah 61. And let me read it to you one more time. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, every phrase here is important. The first one, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach. That right there, the Spirit of the Lord, the word anointed is, is Cairo, or Creo, I mean, it's Creo. Does that sound familiar? Creo. What other word sounds very similar to that? Creator, but what? Christ. Jesus' last name isn't Christ. When we said Jesus Christ or the Christ, Christ means the anointed one. Anointed with what? The Spirit. And when did he get the Holy Spirit? As baptism. So at the baptism, when the dove comes upon him, he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. Why is that important? You go way back to the Old Testament. When David became the king, what did Samuel do? He anointed him with oil as a physical sign of an inner truth that God's spirit was upon him. Saul before that. The spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he was leading. Go back to the judges of Samson. Samson wasn't a strong man. He was a normal man. But what gave him strength? You guys aren't awake. The Spirit of the Lord, right? I mean, it's when God's Spirit came upon the judges, anointed them, they had strength. Just like Moses, when the Spirit came upon him, he had strength to lead the people. 
And so all of Israel were waiting there, waiting for this day when the Messiah would come, the Christ, the anointed one of God. They're waiting for that. So when Jesus says that the Spirit is upon me to anoint and has anointed me, he's the Christ. He's the anointed one with the Holy Spirit. Now, what was he anointed for? Well, it says in the passage, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach. We got one person paying attention. <laughs> Confirmation soon. To preach. Not to be a military general. Not to be the leader of Israel and sit in the temple. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jesus to preach. And this is important because when it came upon him to preach, it gave power and strength and vitality to his words so that when Jesus spoke, things happened. For instance, in the very next chapter, he comes upon a leper. And what happens to the leper? The leper says, make me clean. And Jesus simply says, be clean. And the leper is clean. Or to the lame man who, who's, who's dropped down, Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. And what happens? He takes up his mat and walks. Or to demons, he says, get out of there. And the demons flee. Or to the blind, open your eyes. Or the pinnacle is in is Luke 7. When a centurion comes to Jesus and simply says, Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus, just speak a word. Just utter it and he'll be healed. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He Christ me, Jesus is saying, to do what? To preach, to proclaim, to speak with the power of God that goes way back to Genesis 1, let there be light, there's light. That's what Jesus is saying. Next, not only to preach, but to preach, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is a wonderful um, phrase. And, and someone once said, the good news get a, or the, the poor get a sermon? What's this? Right? When we think of the poor and helping the poor, we think of a, a let's give them a handout. And that's important, and we should. But Jesus here comes to the poor and says he preaches good news to them. Why? Because think about this. The poor never gets, they never get good news. They never. The rich get good news. Why? Because there's people around them who are trying to get money from them, and they're always saying a kind word to them. They have advisors, they have people around them always speaking good news. But the poor, do they ever get good news? Never! And so when Jesus says that the Spirit's upon him, anoint him to preach, the very next thing he says is to preach good news to the poor and also to the rich. It's to everyone, but he's saying the poor. Why? Because he cares for the poor. He cares for those that no one else cares for. Think back to the Magnificat, Luke 1. Mary receives the Holy Spirit. Mary's found out that she's going to have a child. Mary visits with Elizabeth, and then she sings. And the word she sings is this. She says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich away empty. Luke 1, 52 and 53. 
Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, sent by God to proclaim. And the first people he mentions that he's going to proclaim are the ones who never get good news. To preach good news to the poor. But there's more. God has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Now, when we think of the prisoners, we think of our jail system. But that's not necessarily the prisoners that he's referring to. He's referring to the prisoners of war, the POWs, the one who fought for their country and got captured and got brought to a foreign land. And they're under the dominion of another ruler. Those who have no joy, those who have no hope, those who have no future because they're slaves in that land. Jesus has come to proclaim good news to the poor and release to those who are captives. And aren't we all captives of sin, death, and the devil? He has come down to stand before God and, to, and stand upon, come down here to stand upon, uh, before. It will come out of me, I promise. <laughs> Our enemies and say, release them. And think of Lazarus at the tomb. Lazarus, who's dead, under the dominion of death itself. Jesus stands before that death and says, Lazarus, come out! And what happens? He's released. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, sent by God to proclaim good news to the poor, Release to the captives. Healing for the blind. Not just the, the physical blind, but also the spiritual. To speak a word to them so that their eyes might be opened. So those who are, who are filled with all they can see is pain or despair or death or no future. He speaks a word that opens their eyes. Gives them a hope. Gives them a future. Puts them back together. In fact, that's why it says at the end, he sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and that's those who have been shattered into pieces, literally, to release them, to put them back together. And finally, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament the day when everything was made right, the day when, when that year everything was good, it's a jubilee, it's a party. Jesus has come to proclaim that the party has begun. And what's so amazing in this passage that he read from Luke or from Isaiah 61 is where Jesus stops. For any of you who do have your Bibles open, if not, I'll just tell you about it, but if you have your Bibles open, you turn to, to Isaiah 61. I want to read to you what, where Jesus stops because this is really important. Not just of what he says, but where he stops, because he stops mid-sentence at the end. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, this is Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now Jesus stops there. But let me read to you the rest of this sentence. And the day of vengeance of our God 
to comfort all who mourn. What does Jesus leave out? The day of vengeance of our God. Why doesn't Jesus preach those words? Why? Because he did not come to bring God's vengeance. He came to receive God's vengeance. Jesus came to bind up those who are broken. Jesus came to give sight to those who are blind. Jesus came to release those who are captive. Jesus came then to receive the vengeance, to receive the wrath, to receive the, the, the pain and the death and the punishment. He doesn't have to preach it because he knows it. I imagine inside he said those words because he knew that's why he came, to receive those words. He doesn't have to say it out loud because that's not what we get. He fulfills those words so that we don't have to. So when Jesus says, we'll bring this sword together somehow. When Jesus says then that today the scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing, he's really saying, friends, the party has just begun. The anointed one of God, the one you've been waiting for, the Israel, the one that talks about God in all throughout Scripture. That one has shown up. It's me. I'm him. I've come to, to deliver the people. I've come to save the people. I've come to put you back together. I've come to start the party. I'll receive the punishment so you don't have to. It's today. It's begun. I'm in your presence. God didn't wait and make you climb up to him. God came down to you, born among you, living among you, living to set you free. That's what Jesus is proclaiming in one sentence. Amazing. I mean, it's joy to the world. The Lord has come. That's what Jesus was saying in that synagogue. Joy to the world. The Lord has come and he's come to save you. In one sentence. We have a great God. But there's a sad note in this passage. The sad note is that the people don't understand. Their reply to these words is simply, isn't that Joseph's son? Now, they understood what Jesus was saying. They just can't, in their wildest imaginations, believe that Jesus is the one to do it. And it's not because they thought little of Jesus, I promise you. I imagine they loved Jesus. I imagine he was an upstanding young man in their community. It's just that Jesus looked too ordinary. When you think of Messiah, when you think of God's deliverance, don't you think of heavens being ripped open? You know, an angel chorus going, oh. Right, wherever Jesus walks, that like there's a light that follows him. Right? That's what they're expecting, that the Messiah would come in and somehow in the cosmos a trumpet would be blasting. Doot, 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 doot. Right? I mean, we all expect that. And they were expecting that. But don't you see? Jesus didn't come in that way. He had to come in a humble way, in a humble manner, in a lowly manner, in an ordinary manner. Why? Because he was coming to save us. Humble. Ordinary, lowly people. 
And this is important for all of us. Because I think when it comes to faith and our life of faith, our whole life of faith just seems at times too ordinary. Right? I mean, in a baptism, you see, what do you see? You see two parents, little child, a little water, and you go, that's kind of cute, but will that do anything? Even more, like some baptisms, you see the little sisters and brothers running around the baptismal fount and the parents frazzled, their hair sticking straight up. They've been, you know, yelling at each other all the way to church to make sure that, you know, you're late, you're going to miss, we're going to miss the baptism, right? And yet God works in that. Or the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's a, it's a little piece of bread. Or it's a wafer. I mean, I mean, there's not much there. And the wine, I mean, it's in a little plastic cup. And you're sipping it. And, and if you did a common cup, you're more concerned going, am I going to get sick from this or not? And is the pastor wiping this? And should I do this or not? Right? I mean, those are some of the thoughts that you have. It's just too ordinary. Or when you read Scripture, you go, I don't understand all these words, and you're reading them, and it's just so ordinary. Where, where's God breaking in? Where's God's mighty work? And so we do the same thing. We go, isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this just a book with words on it? Isn't this just bread and wine? Isn't it just water? What's the purpose? What's the point? But God says, oh, how I love to work in the ordinary. Oh, how I love to, to grab children at that baptismal fountain and say, you're mine. Even though your brothers and sisters are running around and they're too mine because I grabbed them a few years earlier. God works in the ordinary, the lowly things to do his work among us. The people of Nazareth, they just didn't understand that. I think many would eventually because the good news in this passage isn't just that Jesus has come. The good news is even after they don't believe him, and if you read further, they try to kill him, the good news is that Jesus doesn't eradicate them. He doesn't wipe them out. What does he do? He just goes on his way continuing to preach, continuing to preach, continuing to proclaim, continuing to make people new. He gives sight to blind people like Bartimaeus. He sets at liberty those who are like the paralyzed man. He heals the sick, raises the dead, drives out demons as he continues to preach. And then on the cross, when the whole world gets him wrong, Jesus still preaches further. And his message is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then when he rises from the dead... He's with his disciples. And what does he say to them? You are my witnesses. Go, the Spirit will lead you. Proclaim the good news to the ends of the earth. And that's why we're here today. For don't you see? Even in this ordinary place on an ordinary Sunday, this ordinary man has been sent to you from God. 
way back in Luke, 2,000 years of being sent to say a word to you. And that word is, God loves you. A party has just begun. Christ has done it all. Your sins are forgiven. God prepares a place for you. And that place will be marvelous. But you might say, yeah, but I'm mourning the death of a loved one. To which Jesus then says, I'm the resurrection and the life. But then you say, but I'm caught in sin. My heart is too hard. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But you might feel alone. And Jesus says, surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But Lord, I'm hurting. To which Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't you see? That's his sentence for you. Today, in this place, in this ordinary place, God loves you. Your sins are forgiven. He has prepared a place for you. Let the party begin. You're in the year of God's favor. It's the jubilee. So rejoice and be glad and sing and dance and praise God and kiss your neighbors. Well, not your neighbor's wife, but kiss your neighbors, right? And be happy and bake and share and love. Why? Because God loves you. And so go in peace. This is the year of God's favor. It's fulfilled, not in yourself, but in Christ. Today, in this very place, the scriptures are fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen.